The Owner's Box is part of the In The Money Podcast Network. You can always log on to inthemoneypodcast.com where you can follow along. You can subscribe to the free newsletter. And not only do you have the Owner's Box, but also shows such as the Players Podcast, JK Plus One, The Matt Vernier Show, Redboard Rewind, Nick Luck Daily, Talk Racing to Me, In the Ring with Acacia Courtney, and Off Track with Maggie. So lots of great things to listen to. Just head over to inthemoneypodcast.com. This edition of the Owner's Box is brought to you in part by the Breeders' Cup. Early July brings us two more Breeders' Cup Challenge Series win and you're in races. This time with the Stephen Foster from Churchill Downs and the Princess Rooney from Gulfstream Park. Tune in Saturday, July 2nd with live coverage starting at 4 p.m. Eastern on NBC. Each winner of a Breeders' Cup win and you're in will receive their entry fees paid by Breeders' Cup, $10,000 awarded to the nominator, a $10,000 travel allowance for horses stabled outside of Kentucky. The Princess Rooney Invitational gives you an automatic berth into the $1 million Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint, and the Stephen Foster gives you automatic entry into the $6 million Longines Breeders' Cup Classic on November 5th. Welcome to the Owner's Box. Now, here's Billy Koch and Michelle Yu. Welcome to another edition of the Owner's Box, a very special edition, the first Delmar edition of the Owner's Box. I'm Billy Koch, founder and managing partner of Little Red Feather Racing Club. Joining me alongside, as always, the great, the talented, the lovely, the fantastic, here comes the train, Michelle Yu. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were calling me the train, no, Billy. No, cue the train outside my window here at Delmar, which is fantastic, except when it comes by at four in the morning. Right. Oh, it comes by. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? I it doesn't bother me. It comes right by my place, too. But I it, stuff like that doesn't bug me. No, it doesn't bother me either. But except when I'm in a dead sleep and it wakes me up. So other than that, <laughs> I'm totally fine with the train. Uh, well, what's happening? Welcome to Del Mar. Yeah, well, it's funny. Um, I'm not in Del Mar anymore. I left today. Oh, where are you? I'm home. When are you coming back? tomorrow oh we have a lot of stuff i mean we have beach boss on friday opening day on friday we have kenny main joining us on the beach box how cool is that so fun it's can't wait fun. yeah it's gonna can't be wait. fun uh, we have a great guest today his name is david jerkins he's the racing secretary at del mar and michelle and i taped this interview on monday afternoon so it was before mm -hmm. entries but yeah. it is a wealth of, David is a wealth of information and has some great stories. So if you just want to fast forward and go right to the interview, it's going to start soon. You don't need to I like it. Us. Yeah. <laughs> um, because we had a nice break. How was your break? Uh, busy. Like it did not even feel like a break. I don't know about yours, but my break felt like no break at all. My break was just full, full of uh, anxiety full and anticipation of Delmar starting and Saratoga starting and all these things happening and, I just can't turn my brain off. I hear that. Yeah, it's it's loud. Uh, it's, oh, well, entries came out up. opening for opening day. It was a huge. Uh, I mean, I don't have it up in front of me. I probably should pull it up. But it was like every race has like 10, 10, 12, 14, 10, 9. Yep. Uh, it is going to be quite a day. It is uh, the highlight of the day. I think there were like 114 horses entered, weren't crazy. there? crazy. And more. Some got excluded. I mean, they also eligibles and exclusions and everything. Um, Oceanside, $100,000 on the line for three-year-olds at a mile will be the stakes race, The as it always Traditional. is on opening day. Mm -hmm. Traditional. Uh, morning line favorite five to two is McKinnon. 
coming off uh, a great uh, two-year-old campaign. Remember, he was third in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile uh, Turf, uh, that crazy race. We didn't even want to bring it up where modern games, for some reason, didn't run for uh, betting. For wagering. For wagering. <laughs> for purse money. Which was the craziest thing I've ever seen, probably in my whole life in horse racing. But we're, we're past that. Uh, Michelle, what are you most excited about Del Mar starting? Um... Good question. I'm actually looking forward to getting back to doing Daybreak at Del Mar. We didn't get to do it because of COVID, and now we get to bring it back. And I always, you know, I'm, we're always about education, Billy, between you and I, and that is just like my target market right there. A whole bunch of people that some of them don't even know that horses like poop. I mean, <laughs> they don't, you know, a lot of them don't know anything. And they come and I have so many questions and I just love it. It is amazing. I, I was with uh, Phil D'Amato this morning coming off a big training title at Santa Anita and pointing a lot of horses to, to Del Mar. I think he told me this morning he entered 13 for Saturday. Mm. Um, and uh, I said to him, you know what the craziest thing about opening day is? And he said, what? I said, there's going to be 23,000 people there. And the question is, how many of them know just how hard it is to get one of these horses in a race? You right. know what I mean? Like everything that goes in. Yeah. He was like, it's a very low percentage. It is, it is incredibly hard and you can do all the work and, and everything and still get unlucky. I have a horse on the also eligible list. You have a horse on the also eligible list. Two. That won't run. I have two, two on the AE. I mean, it is, it is very, very difficult just to even get a horse into a race and get them ready and ready to run. And just think of how difficult it is to win. I mean, it's even, oh, it's very hard, hard game, hard game. But here's the thing. We love it, and that's why we do it, and we're passionate about it. And uh, so it's going to be great. It starts at 2 p.m., first post on Friday, Del Mar. Michelle, do we have three things of note? Do you want to just go right to the interview? What do you want to do today? It's all you. How about it's a real quick three things of note? Okay. Go ahead. Okay, so the first thing to note is obviously just that Del Mar is opening up this weekend. I want to make sure people know that opening day on Friday is sold out. So... Don't try and show up and think you're going to get in because you're not. But we do have racing on Saturday and Sunday, and you can still get into racing both of those days. So that's thing of note number one. Uh, Thing of note number two is certainly the fact that we had Saratoga open last weekend. They had, I believe, $37 million in handle. Wow. Um, So, you know, the, the... delay on Del Mar's part by opening up later certainly helped them out. And it'll be interesting to see if, uh, if that wagering trend continues for Southern California to be able to cash it on some of that as well. So Saratoga has already drawn for Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday as of the time we are doing, uh, this podcast right now. Our third thing of note, Billy, very quickly, is that coming up this weekend is going to be the Grade 1 Haskell Stakes over at Monmouth Park. And do want to make note that that is a Breeders' Cup Challenge Series win and you're in race. Obviously, it's for three-year-olds. It is Saturday, July 23rd. And there's going to be live coverage starting at 5 p.m. Eastern on CNBC. The winner of this win and you're in race, as usual, gets their entry fees paid by Breeders' Cup. That's 150 grand. A $10,000 award to the nominator, a $10,000 travel allowance for horses stabled outside of Kentucky, and it is an automatic berth into the $6 million Longines Breeders Cup Classic on November 5th. Uh, more importantly, who's going to win? Okay, so I saw that they drew, but there's no um, PPs up yet. 
Okay, but you know the so, horses. It's it's Jack Christopher's three to two on the morning line. He drew towards the outside. First, that's a first time route for him. And then you have Taba, who uh, faltered in the Kentucky Derby. Taba He's Taba. 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 You say tomato, I say tomato. <laughs> Sorry. Taba, um, my Taba. boy Cyberknife is back in. Oh, there. your boy Cyberknife, who just—he's uh, like six to one too. Yeah. All right. Well, it should be a good um, race. It's at Monmouth and then Park. What Barrio is White back Barrio. in there okay. as well, good and then race. a couple of horses I've never heard of before. Yeah. Well, good race. Good race. All right. Here's who what we're gonna like? do. Uh, I think Jack Christopher will win. You do? Okay. Yeah. I think he's a very, very, very talented horse. Um, you know me. I don't like to pick favorites but he has been he's one of those horses that uh, I don't pick favorites but when I do three to two is my favorite price are you making fun of me kind of a little bit just but like not mean just like being funny oh, okay time for David <laughs> time for David all right we'll be right back we'll be back with David Jerkins from Delmar stay tuned TaylorMade Partnerships provides an unmatched entry and experience into both the racing and breeding side of the thoroughbred industry. Now you can be a part of top-level racing and breeding with all the rewards and less risk and cost. Medallion Racing has enjoyed great success throughout the years with 66% of starters running in graded stakes and 25 of those in grade ones. Last year, Medallion was fortunate enough to have an impressive four Breeders' Cup starters. Similarly... TaylorMade's Bloodstock Investments has discovered great value on the breeding side of the game, buying and selling such standouts as Improbable, Bast, Cutting Humor, and Flame Away, amongst others. Join TaylorMade and experience the thrill with us, your family. All right, back here on the Owner's Box with our very special guest. He is none other than David Jerkins, the racing secretary from Del Mar, who loves Whole Foods. More than anybody I know. David, welcome to the show. I, wait, glad, David's favorite food I found here. out the other day. What, what did you find out, kale. Michelle? His favorite food is kale. Really? Well, that is part of the Whole Foods experience. And he disclosed <laughs> uh, my favorite lunch spot that I'm at pretty much every day. But, um, yeah, it's kind of an obsession, but, you know. <laughs> Well, Something we're going to find out more about kale later on in the interview. For, but for now, David, just let everybody know, obviously, famous last name. Uh, we, but we want to know about your family and your upbringing and, and how you got originally into racing. Right. So my dad's a trainer. He still is in New York, Steve Jerkins. And he is the son of Alan Jerkins, my grandfather, Hall of Fame trainer. And my uncle James uh, is a trainer as well. So, you know, I grew up as a trainer's son. You just you get exposed to the business rather quickly. And, you know, growing up, take Christmas morning, for example, it's no, we're not opening the presents till till Steve gets home from the barn, you know. So uh, that everyday grind that my dad lived, um, you know, I grew up with that, obviously, Um, going to the races from a young age. Um, I remember my dad ran a horse in the Kentucky Derby. I was like six years old and my parents had me stay with my grandparents for, for a few days. And, um, you know, so it's always, I've always been entrenched in the lifestyle of, of a trainer, um, you know, my whole life. 
It's interesting because obviously big names, but Steve is not the biggest name. Were you, did you ever make fun of your dad and say, hey, look what Uncle Jimmy's doing? Or, I mean, <laughs> your, your, your dad's in the Hall of Fame. What are you doing? Do you ever, did that, how was that at, at Thanksgiving? It, I mean, it's amazing just to listen to the, the conversations they would have and how they remember horses back from the 70s. And you know, my dad worked for my grandfather for a while, but he decided to go out on his own rather quickly, whereas my uncle, he, he worked for, for the chief for a while as his assistant. So, um, I mean, I give my dad credit. He's, you know, I've seen all aspects of racing, a, a smaller stable, and then obviously, you know, my grandfather's had lots of success, but, um, you know, the ups and downs, regardless of, you know, whether you're someone like my grandfather or, or whoever, you just, you know, live through that, um, you know, the everyday grind, like I said earlier, and just, you know, the, the ups are, you know, the highs are high, but the lows could really be low. So, yeah. you know, we, we, yeah, we, an- we say that on the show all the time that that this is a roller coaster. It is the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. But, David, Mike, I'm curious as a as a as a kid, let's say as a teenager, even like what were your favorite parts of the game? Because you were, as you said, entrenched as a trainer some. But did you think about ownership? Did you like what did you even know what a racing secretary did? Like what what was did, were you a gambler? No, I would say I would help my dad in the in the mornings and the expression of turning left as a hot walker. That's pretty much as high as I got on the corporate ladder in terms of, <laughs> of working at the racetrack. I mean, in all honesty, I, I was not a good hand at the barn at all. Um, for starters, I had bad allergies, so that was a mess. I'm right there with you. Uh, you know, my dad would wake me up at, you know, 4.30 in the morning. That was difficult. Um, I remember one time I was trying to get a horse in the ice tub. And he kept stepping out of the tub and the water's going all over the place and the bandage is falling off and I'm flustered and just like, you know, forget putting a bridle on a horse. I mean, that would take me, you know, an hour. Um, so my first exposure was going to the barn with my dad and, you know, I could handle, you know, raking the shed row and that type of thing. But um, I was not a good hand, but I, I was intrigued by the inner workings of how races are filled and, um, you know, just looking at odds and just handicapping races, that type of thing interested me more than being at the barn, which my family, I mean, that's what they live for. I mean, they love getting up to work every day and to do that work, you know, you have to love it every day. Yep. Michelle. So David, what brought you from, um, not being a very good hot walker to say, I'm going to come to California and be a racing secretary. Right. I mean, it's, it was one of those things where when I got out of college, I, I got a job at, at the New York racetracks. I was, um, you know, I went through periods growing up where I was really into certain races. Like I wouldn't miss a triple crown race. I wouldn't miss a breeders cup to, you know, as we all do when we grow up, we go through stages and, and there are a few years where I really didn't, you know, have a lot of interest, um, other than my family's, you know, races. Um, but got out of college, started, um, working in the New York racing office um, as a Lasix assistant, actually, just <laughs> like, awesome. like <laughs> data. And I just remember just this plugging is the most in. Wandering like, yeah, this is it. awesome. A Lasix assistant. I love that. Okay. I, I, still, I could still see the stacks of Lasix slips on my desk. Um, 
it was like, you know, in the corner here, like the cubby hole, you know, but it was a job and, and, you know, gradually got more exposure working in the racing office. And I quite honestly, it was a little difficult for me being in New York. Um, just because my family were trainers and I almost felt like I was in a fishbowl in a sense. So, uh, worked there for about five years and then, um, Golden Gate Field, um, Sean Greeley was the racing secretary there and he gave me a call and that got me to California to be his assistant. And it's one of the decisions that I made in my mid twenties that, you know, you take a risk and there's nothing really to lose. And it was the best decision I made. It got me to California and then ultimately got me to Del Mar. Wow. That's it's, it's a great journey and it just shows exactly what you said, taking risks. A lot of this game and this sport is taking risks. And now you've been at Del Mar several years. Um, just talk a little bit about the, the learning experience as far as this culture in Southern California, and then we'll go into more specifics about creating a book or, or knowing your inventory and that kind of thing, David. Right. No, I think the first thing is just having the support of the people you work for. So at Golden Gate Fields, I worked under Peter Tunney, who was well-respected and, and he was a great individual to work for. And, and obviously Del Mar with, with Joe Harper and Josh Rubenstein and Tom, um, they put you in a good position um, when you take a, a job like Del Mar. Like I felt comfortable right from the get-go and what I've learned from Tom, it's just, you know, you can't replace that. So um, honestly, it was, it, it was beneficial for me to be at Golden Gate Fields because I had exposure with a lot of the Southern California trainers. So that helped me, you know, when I got the Del Mar job, or at least I knew a lot of the, the big players and a lot of the connections here. Yeah, obviously. Go ahead, Michelle. Uh, this is such an aside, and it's not really pertaining to the to the line of questioning that we're on. But a little bit earlier, you're talking about how you like to watch your favorite races, and you know, we talked about the Triple Crown a little bit. But what is your favorite type of race to watch now? Like, maybe not a greatest day, but like, oh, I love turf routes or dirt sprints. Or is there a particular race? Just so I know, I want to right. have a lot of horses. Yeah, that. we're trying to so get like in. This is the mentality of, of this show. We just go on <laughs> complete tangents. No, that's a great question. I mean, now I'm just so, you know, in, with Del Mar, it's just every race at Del Mar is just, you know, you're 100% focused. Um, you know, outside of our racing and in California, I don't particularly have a, you know, other than when my dad is running in a race. For me, um, a couple of years ago, I went to visit my dad and, and I don't go to New York that often, you know, once or twice a year, but he, he had a horse in and he won a race and it was like, we won the Kentucky Derby. That's awesome. Um, so I would say, you know, there's not really a particular race, but you know, any race my father is participating in that, you know, I'm geared up for that. For I sure. think that's fair. I think that's a very, very, very polite answer. David Jerkins, racing secretary from Del Mar joining us. I want to go back to something you just said about Tom Robbins because I want, I want, if you can be a little more specific, you said the things that Tommy has taught me are invaluable. Give us a couple of examples of, as you started with Del Mar and you've learned from Tom. Are there, is there something that pops up that, hey, make sure you do this? Absolutely. I think it's it's two things. It's one his demeanor and how he remains calm in all difficult situations. And I think how he treats people, um, 
he just has a certain aura and respect about him. Um, but also it's just how prepared he is. Like anytime we go into a meeting or anytime we're discussing a different subject, um, he's just so prepared and he's on about 12 different panels. He's, you know, he's the, the candy capper. Um, you know, he does his Hong Kong meetings year, you know, once a year, he's on the graded stakes committee. Um, I've nicknamed him the, the Dean of racing secretaries. Um, (laughs) so I, you know, call him, you know, I think that's, you know, but again, you, you, you learn a lot from different people, you know, working in New York, I, I worked with Mike Lakehow and then he was very good to work for. And I learned a lot from him and, and Sean Greeley in, in Northern California. So I feel fortunate. It's like an assistant trainer that, that learns from three or four different trainers. You kind of pick pieces that you want to emulate from each individual. So, um, but yeah, working with Tom is, is, I mean, every day it, it's, you just get amazed by the guy he's just and he's a great human being on top of everything he is all that david jerkins uh, that i'm sure he will listen to the show and actually smile because he he also likes his you know he doesn't get complimented that often so i think it's very nice for you to say stuff like that um let's talk specifically delmar and let's talk as we head into this exciting meet starting friday tell us a little bit about your process when do you start I know there's recruiting. We can talk about ship and win, which is also a great benefit to many horsemen. Um, but talk about when you start making the condition book, this first book, three weeks, starting July 22nd. When Do you look back at old books? Do you look at your inventory? What's your process? Right. Well, I mean, a lot goes into it. Now, some trainers will say, oh, I just need to look at last year's book. You know, it's the same <laughs> Same book, different cover. And I said, well, the purses are a little different this year, so that's good. But no, um, the actual condition book process, um, I start usually in May. Um, you know, as far as just preparation for the meet and the plan that we're, you know, trying to execute, we start in January, um, you know, with our budgeting and our projections and then, you know, determining what our purses are going to be. And, and it starts with presenting the stake schedule and then, you know, you kind of plug those races in and then, and then you start working on the condition book. Um, I feel like there's a formula for Del Mar, given that it's a short meet that has worked well. And, and you asked about, you know, previous books and, and previous data. I mean, I do a lot of comparisons, you know, year in, year out. Um, so, you know, certain categories that, that generate high field size, you know, those are races that in an eight week meet, I'm going to try to offer three times. Right. Um, as you know, for Del Mar, two-year-olds are, are vital and we run a lot of two-year-old racing and, and I'm tracking two-year-old data, um, monthly and, and that determines how many two-year-old races I may offer in a particular meet. So, um, I look at a lot of data. Some of it gets overwhelming, but at the end of the day, I believe in trying to keep the condition book as simple as possible where trainers can kind of know my style and, and and hopefully the book flows and, and there's a race in book one. And then there's, you know, a a race in book two where I'm not missing categories. And that, that's the last thing I want to do is have a trainer call me up. Well, you didn't have this race in book one and you missed it in book two and you know, that type of thing. So, um, yeah, it's, I love putting the puzzle together. That's what I call it. I, I, I love just trying to think like a trainer would think, okay, I'm going to run this horse here. Where, where's my next spot? 
So absolutely it makes that, a lot of sense. Like yeah. That, yeah, I mean that's David, probably a part of the job. David, because we have an abbreviated meet here, um, do you find it where it, it would be hard to try to experiment with a new condition or a new type of race um, and put it in a book? Right. Now, that, that's a good question. I mean, I get asked, well, what, what different types of races are going to have this meet? You know, I'll have owners call me or trainers and and you know, usually whatever you do, you're, you're taking from other categories in a sense. Um, but I utilize the fall meet kind of as a, as a meet where I try different things more than the summer. Um, you know, I think especially book one in the summer, people want to, you know, are really anxious to run there. And, you know, I do keep the, the standard categories, mix in a few races here and there that maybe I didn't have last year, but, you know, generally keep the same same pattern david you've you're, you're for people who don't know i'm very I'm, i consider david a very good friend and i'll get an, a, a text from you after entries are taken sometimes and you say book is good um you love to have your book good just explain that and what it means as a racing secretary to meet when when i get that text later in the day that just says book is good no i i think my job at the end of the day is to fill the races that are offered in the condition book where an owner like yourself or a trainer can rely on. And I think we, we put an emphasis on the book races going, um, you know, sometimes certain categories, if, you know, you have a sickness in your barn area or there's a horse you were planning on that was going to run there, uh, goes out of town or what have you. And, and, you know, you feel for those owners and trainers that were anxiously awaiting a, a book race at Del Mar and it didn't go. Yes. So I think we, you know, especially, I mean, the book is released in May and people are looking forward to it for months. And the last thing I want is, you know, book races not to fill. So we, we do everything we can to prioritize the book. And then, you know, you make adjustments on the fly. I mean, there are some days where, I may put categories as book races that I'm probably 50, 50 on. And then, you know, you have subs in the book. I try to limit the number of extras just, um, you know, to rely on the condition book going. So, uh, the fall meet is definitely more difficult, uh, than the summer. The summer pretty much flows in terms of the condition book. The fall can, you know, can be difficult with weather and, you know, the fact that so many horses ship in from, from San Anita, it's just a different feel. Um, but no, I, I love that text, Billy. So <laughs> I know <laughs> if you text this summer, you, you know, I'm happy, you know, at least for one minute anyway. Well, I think it's, you know, David Jerkins, the racing secretary from Delmar joining us here on the owner's box. And I think it's interesting. I don't think maybe people know this and maybe some owners don't know this, but you have a constant dialogue with the trainers. How often Take us through your day on an on, on an entry day where you're in your little office, Tommy's sitting back there. Give us like the impression. How many trainers are coming in? Hey, I want to run in this race. What do you think you're going to have in book two? Can you help me out here? What what does that? What are those five six hours uh, tomorrow morning look like? Right. I mean, it's I usually uh, full disclosure. Tommy shows up earlier than me, uh, <laughs> so I'm. I'm well, and you have I to probably, get out by twelve fifteen to make Whole Foods, so there's not a lot. That's right, why I said right. four or five hours. 
I mean, I, the first couple of years I worked here, I got in the office at 6 a.m. I was just like, I couldn't sleep before entries. I, especially my first year that I got the job here, I was like, I think I slept in the office, seriously. But um, I, I get in around quarter to eight. Um, and usually the, the early hours of the entry process is quiet. But like you said, I, you know, a lot of trainers text, which is great. You text, Billy. You know, you know how that, that goes. Sure. I try to respond because I can. Not um, me, Billy. I call constantly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Are you calling Jerkins? I had no idea. I call David like 25 times before the meet, and then if he doesn't answer, I track him down on the track. Oh, my goodness. Right. I had no idea. I had no idea, Michelle. I'm, I'm trying to be – I always start my text with, I know you're busy, but – yeah, I love that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I called in my emails on LinkedIn that, David, questions. I know you're swamped, but. Yes, I know you're swamped, but how can you help me? But, and that's, you know, it's an interesting thing because, truthfully, selfishly, we're kind of. You've called me before. And you said, in fact, we talked several weeks ago, uh, you know, the book had already been out, but you said, like, what do you think of the book or what, you know, and I and right. I said to you, it's very difficult for me as an owner who as involved as I am to look at other races like it's it's very difficult. But for you to have to do it and sit down, how much time do you spend going through your inventory of horses and knowing because you have these just for people who don't know, you get the stall apps, right? That's kind of where it starts. So you have an idea of right. kind of which horses are on the grounds. Then you talked about data. So you're looking at every horse. You have the categories. Is there a database? What is back there that you use to say, okay, I know this one other than for Philly and the Mares is going on Saturday, and I think I'm going to have nine horses in it? Right. I mean, the, the stall applications is a tool in the beginning of the meet. But as Michelle knows and you know, that information fluctuates and becomes outdated rather quickly. Um, to me, the, the best tool that I utilize is I study the work tab probably for hours. And, and that, you know, whether it's Los Alamitos, San Luis Rey, San Anita Del Mar, that gives me an indication when I, I can see exactly how many works. Um, I know the horse's last start. To me, that is when I mark on my spreadsheet, okay, this particular horse has worked five eighths, should be race ready, and I could count on this horse entering in that race. And then during the entry process, that's when I'm talking to trainers and just asking, okay, what about this race? You know, are you thinking of going in here? And so I keep notes. If I hear, no, I'm going to try this horse in another race, I keep notes of that. But honestly, the work tab is probably the most valuable tool we have. Um, Interesting. All the horses that enter the um, barn area are in our encompass system. I could pull up PPs rather easily. Um, you know, one thing that I, I want to mention, you know, when you do this job, you really need a dependable staff. And I'm blessed with, you know, an individual like Zach and, and Tora. And, and I have a tremendous staff, um, you know, that, obviously has a big role in this as well so um yeah it, it's more just talking to trainers finding out what races they're looking for i mean i could get a, i could have a good feel of a race that's definitely going to go um when people are definitely calling me and saying you think this race will go and that's um you know you make note of that and, and of course as you know michelle and, and billy it's not an exact science uh there's times you go in the in the office in the morning and you're thinking this day is going to be a breeze. I'm going to get ten <laughs> in every race. 
And then, and then I'm given a rundown at 9.30, and it's like 2, 3. Oh, and no. it's like, what's going on? You know? yeah. um, so it varies. Um, but to answer your question, there, there is a lot of information we look at. But I, I rely on the old-fashioned work tab. And um, one thing I like to do, and Michelle, you may see me do this. I, I love to, to walk the barn area. Um, I like to a get out of the office for a little bit. But he hides when like he comes to... by mine to make sure I'm not there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I love to you know chat with the grooms and and you know like you said, Billy, trainers come come in my office. You know I'm like doing something or on the phone and and I like to go in their office sure. and and just pop in mm-hmm. and and, um, and do that. So um, you know there's there's a lot to it, but. Sometimes at the end of the day, you can have all the, the stats and, and think a race is going to fill. And, you know, here you are sitting with three at 1030. Yeah. And at that point, David, you're getting on the phone. Point, Go ahead, Michelle. Yeah. At what point, maybe at what point, um, let me see if I, I can phrase this better. How much interest do you need in a particular type of race for you to try and like pivot away from a book race to write like an extra or something, you know, on the overnight um, or in the next book? that would be different than your normal MO. Right. So usually what we do is at, at nine 30, we kind of come up with a game plan. We see where the, where the rundown is at nine 30. And then I assign races for people on our staff to look up and compile a list of, of logical candidates. And, you know, once we get to um, 10, 10 30, and if we're, we're really struggling in a particular book race, then it's okay. Let's pivot to a sub or an extra. And, you know, you have to factor in number of, of, uh, turf races for a particular day, uh, number of maidens, that type of thing too. So, um, usually I'll try to prefer a book race that didn't go, you know, the following day or a race that overfilled, you know, I'll, I'll try to squeeze it in that particular day. If, if book races don't go, but, but usually, you know, we, we do our due diligence, we, we work on the race, and if it's just not there, if, if someone on my staff says, I just don't see it today, you know, then we, we look elsewhere. Speaking of the ratio, race, oh, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say then with that particular race, we may look at changing the distance or, you know, trying to bring it back to maybe where it would actually fill. You mentioned to the dirt to turf ratio. Is there like a set formula that works really great or is it like, well, today I guess we're going to have six turf races and that's the way it's going to be. I know. I mean, one thing that we're seeing the trend is, you know, half the races in Southern California, I think we hit uh, our fall meet. We were like 51%. Um, You know, we're, we're, the reality is that obviously turf racing is, is, you know, front and foremost right now um you know there's only so much turf you can offer on, on our course obviously so um what i try to do is it depends how many races we're going to offer for a particular day but if it's a 10 race card i usually look at four four to five grass and and the other days i try to offer maybe three grass races um that particular day but no it's 
probably 85% of the extras I get asked about are, are turf. David, it's interesting that you said that. And I'm, I have my own theories that you and I have spoken about, uh, about this move to turf. What's your theory on why, especially in Southern California, turf racing has completely blown up? Well, I think we, we offer a lot more categories on the turf than we, than we used to. I, I remember when I worked in New York, there was one turf sprint. It was called the Jiper Stakes, and it was 7-8. And we never offered anything sprinting on the grass, and now we offer you know non-twos for 25 sprinting on the grass. So we've definitely opened the menu in terms of offering more grass races. I think people feel it's more of an equalizer um, than running on the dirt. Um, a lot of times we'll see horses, you know, run on the grass. They may run six, but they, you know, get beat four lengths as opposed to getting beat, you know, 14 lengths on the dirt. Sure. So um, I think there's a lot into it, but I think, again, we're, we're providing more opportunities on the grass. Um, and I feel like, you know, there's still an obligation to fill their categories as well. So I've always believed in balance and, and, you know, try to get a balanced program. But sometimes, you know, the reality is there's a race that's not going to go on the dirt and it's going to fill on the turf. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And we can go into my theory later on, but that'll take too long. And we've already kept you uh, uh, long enough. I have such a Michelle question. Michelle, you're going to love this. Oh, boy. Are you ready? David, yeah. I can't give us give us a couple of horses that you're really looking forward to seeing here at Del Mar this summer. Couple of horses that I'm so that besides the well, yeah, besides Flightline, because I think everybody's excited about the fact that he might run in the Pacific Classic. But give us a couple others that you're really looking forward to. I mean, going global, I think is is one that I want to see how she. She runs here this summer. I've always thought, you know, Phil's done a tremendous job with her. Um, let's see. I would say, man, this is a tough one. I'm trying to find like That's a such 20. a hard question, I know, Well, I know. I, listen, this Wait isn't supposed minute. to be easy. He said I'm well, trying well, to find the, a 20 claimer. The, the horse that you worked at Los Alamitos. That's that your favorite you horse. About. That's your favorite horse. No, yes, I, he can. I just, I, yeah. Well, let's go with let's go with him. I love uh, that chip and win horse, chip and win horse that, um, you know, found the winner's circle at Santa Anita. I think that's a horse to watch. But no, I'm I'm excited about um, even the older horse division. I mean, obviously flight line, but but I think there goes Harvard. I want to see like him moving forward. Um, Express train always brings it. Um, I mean, I think we have a good collection of. You know, we're obviously going to have good two-year-olds that are going to debut, which is always exciting. Um, but no, there's there's plenty, and I, I think it's it's from a stakes perspective, I think it's going to be really competitive this summer. Yeah, I think so too. I have a crazy question that I don't think you and I have ever discussed. Do you gamble? Are you even allowed to gamble? <laughs> Man, Michelle, he's really grilling me with some of these hard questions. I know. Good one. I, I don't even know if you do. I don't. I can't believe I've never asked you. I, I don't think I've ever. We've ever discussed it. So, as a racing official, no. Um, quite honestly, and given that I make my living on horse racing, which involves gambling, I am not a gambler. Um, I am not a casino guy at all. 
Um, I wouldn't get into sports betting. Um, that's something I'm not into. Um, the only time maybe is if I'm, you know, visiting my dad and I'm at Belmont Park and he has a horse in, you know, my mom and I we might throw in 10 bucks, but, but no, I try to, I try to look at things from a gambler's perspective a little bit. And obviously my goal is to have quality racing that our customers, you know, want to wager on. And, you know, at the same time, trying to keep owners and trainers and everybody happy too. So well, that's impossible. Um, that's impossible. You know that. Do you I mean, know, come I have learned more about David Jerkins this week than I have known about David Jerkins for my whole life. He's the gr- he's the greatest. I told you that. I told the you that before we booked the that interview. David Jerkins does not like is so long though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait, Michelle, I know you had a quick question before we let him go. I did. I do. I, I have a question. So Del Mar is the only place in, in Southern California you can work horses on the grass. And I utilize that to my teeth um, on the Daybreak at Del Mar segments about how special and ex- exclusive it is to be able to do that. Why does Del Mar allow turf workers? And well, do you think, enjoy that we do? Yeah. I mean, it, it's in all honesty, it's a pain for me to, you know. Right. To, deal with the phone calls, you know, can I work this horse on the turf and try to make sure nobody's well, trying to work the maiden. I'm adding to the list of things David doesn't like. Yeah. Right, well, explain why, David. Who Who is allowed to work on the turf? Because a lot of people might not know that. Well, it's it's no maidens, and it's it's really designed for, for stakes and allowance quality. And, and, you know, depending on the number of requests, um, usually it's it's not an issue. We, we offer turf works twice a week. And, Michelle, one of the things – you know, for us, we don't have the training track like Santa Anita has. You know, right. Uh, so it, it, it provides some element of relief on our main track during training. So, you know, we feel that the, whatever it is, 70 horses per week that work on the grass, um, we're giving owners and trainers an opportunity. And, you know, again, they work on the outside of the turf course, obviously. So, um I think Tom and I ultimately we've discussed, you know, moving forward, is it something we want to continue to do? But, but at the end of the day, if it, if it's good for the owner, good for the trainer and, and it helps us, you know, alleviate some traffic, you know, in the mornings on mm-hmm. the main track, then, then we'll continue. But, but I okay. do have some, some people that try to, you know, sneak a maiden on there. And then I have to, you know, go through the, that conversation or, you know, or a 25 claimer. That I want to know, I so, know what that conversation is like, because you talked okay. about your demeanor and you are, you are always calm, cool, and collected. I think, remember I got really mad and I slammed the door one day. Well, and you were so calm. I don't even remember why I was so mad, but. Was that your, I'm trying to remember if that was a horse that just had a bad date. Or oh, something it was the date thing again. Him. Yeah, I'm. Did we fix that? I think we fixed that. But but Michelle, he literally slammed the door. To now, <laughs> I had to. Adjust, I can believe it. But I had to adjust that door. Like now, we have a hinge where you cannot slam it anymore, <laughs> just because the Billy Koch. It's the Billy Koch hinge. Wait, but that's you know what that's I, I want to awesome. bring that up. And David, I know we've taken up more time than I want, but I think this is really important oh, no. that people don't understand. Right. Is the date system? It's it's a little complicated. We'll try to simplify it. But every horse goes into Del Mar with what they call a zero date. So when entries are taken tomorrow for Friday and a race oversubscribes, it is basically the luck of the draw who gets in. I'll let you right. take it from there. But so I then, want to go back to what you said about demeanor. 
I feel like anybody that is so passionate about racing and if they, you know, had a bad day or they're upset about something, like I, I really, I can't get mad about that. Like if, if somebody wants to run and, and wants to support us, like I try to remain calm because I know how stressful the game can be. And I kind of just like shrug my shoulders. Like, I know this is just an instance that, you know, it's not worth, you know, getting upset over. Right. Um, so I do appreciate, you know, the aspect of anybody that is eager to run at Del Mar, because believe me, it beats the alternative when you're, you know, and I worked at Golden Gate Fields when, I mean, when you're begging for, for entries, that is not fun either. No. Um, but no, back to the, to the date system, you're right. It is luck of the draw. So tomorrow, what is my nightmare? It's that maiden turf race. It's probably going to have 18 and I can run 12 and it's probably. Or you can split and have two nines. <laughs> yeah. Or I could. And, but if I don't split it, you know what the headache for me is when a race has 14 where it's like, uh, yeah. I don't want to split seven and seven, you know, but. I, you know, unfortunately two are not going to get in and, you know, you alluded to the date system. Every horse has equal opportunity, um, to get in opening day. And then, you know, if you run during the meet, that becomes your date. So is it perfect? No, nothing's really perfect, but I get the owner's frustration. Like you said, luck of the draw that first especially the beginning of Del Mar. Now, by book two, usually races, they might lighten up a little bit. And sometimes it could work for you, Billy. I mean, let's just say, you know, I use a race with a full field and then I bring it back and I might use it with seven or eight. Sure. So, you know, right. sometimes that works. But, yeah, it is frustrating. And for me, it's like I, I want to split races. I, I love doing that when I can. But then it's at the expense of another race. Now, one thing I did this this condition book, I put in fewer races that we're planning on running. So it, I, I like to have a little flexibility. Oh, that's interesting. Can, okay. So you might put yeah. uh, you might so, put only nine, but you know in the back of your head if it's a Saturday, you right. might run ten, or you could run an eleven even. Right. Okay. Right. Oh, that's good. Right. So there are no, thinking that there's going to be a split. Right, and and we plan, you know. Again, it's a tentative how many races we're going to run each day. And we, we meet with Mike Ernst, our, our CFO, and Tom and Josh. And, you know, we may think, okay, is, is inventory healthy enough to run 11 races uh, on Saturdays and 10 races on Sunday? But, but sometimes, you know, you just kind of play it by ear and see how each day unfolds. But, um, no, I, I get the frustration. I mean, believe me, my phone probably rings more when a race overfills from that uh, connection that doesn't get into that race, then if a race doesn't go, sure. Um, that is where, you know, people really get, get, you know, upset about is I'm ready to run. I waited and now, you know, I'm number 13. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. It, it, it is frustrating. That's a look of the draw. And that wasn't what our argument is about. I'll explain that off the air. <laughs> David Jerkins, you are a, but, but- uh, this, this door that we, I mean, you could not slam this door no matter how hard you try. <laughs> oh, I'm going to try. I don't want to try. I don't want to be mad. No one wants to be like that. No one wants, especially with you and Tommy. You're two of the nicest people. I know you're a complete mensch. Um, I'm glad we got you after your Whole Foods. If anybody does really want to talk to David, just show up at Whole Foods sometime between 12 and 1230 every single day, and he'll be there, and you can talk to him there. I do it. Uh, Michelle, maybe there we'll go, go treat him to lunch one day. 
Uh, at Whole Foods sounds great. You know what? Actually, Billy, I have I've tried to be nice to David. I've I, I even joined him onto my TikTok sends now. He gets TikToks from me. Oh, amazing! <laughs> That's just what he needs, David. Best of luck in 2020. This is going to be an. Uh, are you shocked to hear this? Are you shocked to hear I'm not a TikTok guy? No, we are not shocked at all. No, I'm, I'm going to add that to the list. Things like David, <laughs> I have a list right now. I've been writing as we've been speaking. David, we appreciate it. We are so looking forward to entries tomorrow for opening day this Friday at Del Mar. Uh, we know it's sold out. It's going to be an amazing day. I think it's going to be a fantastic weekend and a great meet. I think everybody around here is looking forward to it, and we appreciate you spending the time t- uh, talking to us today. And I, Like Michelle said, I even you, you learn stuff every day. And I think it's great to have someone like yourself on uh, for owners, especially who listen to our show. How many calls do you think show. David declined when he was on our show? I think he, I think he declined. Well, it's late in the afternoon on Monday. I think maybe three. But think okay. about it. What I say, what I say to people, nobody says, you know, Happy New Year or Merry Christmas. You know, so it's kind of like you go from zero to a hundred in terms of volume of calls because, right? You know, very, very few are calling me. You know december um so you know it, it's i kind of like it you know it, it's it's right. good to again have the attention and you know people people are looking forward to the meet so we'll name all right before we go here's one more tough question we'll put you on the spot Uh-oh. name the Uh-oh. top three trainers that call you the most oh call me the most yeah well i think you would have to have i mean that's you have to look at the number of inventory Obviously, trainers that have more more inventory. Wait, let Michelle me. guess. Let Michelle guess first before you come up with it. Go ahead, Michelle. You name the top three, and then I'll take the top three, and then David will say who it is, and then we'll leave. Um, I I bet you Sadler calls. That's I bet one. you Mike McCarthy calls. Okay, that's two. And normally, I guarantee you that Richie Baltus calls, but obviously that's not going to happen no, this year. Maybe, I mean, but, year. you know, not why don't really. You go so. with, why don't you go with George? Um, okay. Yeah, because I don't I don't think George is doing any calling. Doug. Oh, that I was my. Okay. So, McCarthy and Doug. Okay. I say Miller, D'Amato, O'Neill. Both of you have like one or two. Okay. And we'll we'll leave it at that. Right. We don't want to oh, get Miller, you in trouble. Miller's a for sure. Well, yeah, Miller's, Miller's a for sure. sure. I bet you oh, now, Miller's on. Yeah, I bet you David Hyde. Oh, text, text, yeah. call, text count, text now, count. The text oh yeah, is, text the count, text. text. Is, right now, when I first worked here, like the text, like I was up at like nine thirty at night, like just, like I had to set boundaries. So I try to. You know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I would rather text at like five in the morning when I wake up. Then you know I'm watching Jeopardy at 7:30. You know that's kind of like, yeah. So 7:30 Jeopardy. Jeopardy. I'm like, yeah. No, I'm like, yeah. That's like a whole food. You and Andy Serling. Jeopardy's on at seven though, isn't it? It's at 7:30 as well. For us, it's yeah. For us, it's 7:30, and then that's where the phone is like. You know, if somebody's calling me after 7:30, you know, I'm probably not going to answer it. Um, But no, I, I think. The communication's good, and I'm glad trainers feel comfortable. They can at least, you know, text me or, you know. And, and some are very, you know, I got to give them credit. They, they're very clever. They can, uh, you know, try to get a sense of humor and try to, you know, um, keep it light, which is good, too. So All right. We'll, 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 we'll leave you off the hook. David, 
We appreciate it, my friend. Thank you for coming on today. And we are, as I've already said six times, we're pumped. Michelle's ready. I'm ready. Everybody's ready. We're, oh, Michelle, we're doing Beach Boss. Maybe we should have David on. David doesn't gamble. I know, but it, that's that would give him a way to gamble. <laughs> if, if, uh, it's not real. I don't think he likes it. It's on my list of things David doesn't like. Okay, Beach Boss, put that on the list. Billy slamming I think doors, you put that on the list. More compelling candidates than myself on that particular right. spot. We're going to try. Yeah. Go get ready for tomorrow. I know it's going to be a huge day of entries, and uh, we're looking forward to a great meet. Thank you, David. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Enjoyed it. David Jerkins thanks, David. joining us here in the owner's box. We'll be right back. Fixed Odds Betting, powered by Betmakers, is back and in effect at Monmouth Park. And the early returns are fantastic, with 70% of winners paying more on Fixed Odds than they are on the tote. Soon, Fixed Odds wagering will be available throughout the state. This is an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands. Ready for this, Michelle? The odds you The odds you bet are the odds you get. You'll be continuing to hear a lot more about fixed odds betting opportunities across the In the Money Media Network. Betmakers. All right, back here on the owner's box. Michelle. I, I, I have a list of things <laughs> that David Jerkins does not like. <laughs> My was... list of things he does like is like one thing. It's kale yeah, and, he likes whole... and whole foods. Right. Kale and whole foods. That's it. He doesn't like any. And he, and he likes to um, fill a book. Oh, yeah. Did you see? Oh. Uh, oh, oh, never mind. Never yeah, mind. what? You could say it. Never mind. Okay. I, well, <laughs> we shot that interview beforehand. Yeah. Right? Well, the now that the draw has happened, but I don't know when this is going to go out, David did send out the text, the book is good. The book is good. He loves that. He loves that text. I got it today, too. Um, they even added an extra race for for th- uh saturday i think they're racing 11 on saturday but it is listen, here's the thing about the interview we've done a lot of these interviews and what i liked about david was he was so forthright with his answers i mean he didn't mm-hmm. hesitate he really told it how it was he told some great stories about getting into the game and and his family and and i just really it's nice to get to know someone like that i thought that's what was interesting that you said i never even knew any of this you know and you're right. friends with the guy so I, I really, I really enjoyed the interview. Thank you to David Jerkins and to Delmar for setting it up. Uh, Michelle, I'm so looking forward to Beach Boss. I know I keep bringing Very, it up, excited? but I'm kind of pumped up about it. Yeah. How does it just, I know we're on the air and it doesn't really matter, but how does it work? Like, so we just get on, we, we kind of schmooze a little bit first. Or do you lead yeah, so that? We, it's very tight, Billy. So I lead it. So you need to be quiet. Don't okay. speak unless you're spoken to. Yes, okay. Ma'am. That's how that show has to go. Yes, ma'am. Um, and we try to keep it very tight. We talk a little bit about like our day or what, what we like about Delmar, like a very, like a very pointed question about it. Right. And then we bring in our guests to talk about it. And then we get right to the race that we are featuring this week. Obviously it's the ocean side and you guys each get a hundred bucks to spend on the ocean side, which you can wager however you see fit all in on one horse, $5 on every horse. Right. I mean, you know, a saver bet with a $2 uh, show. So whatever you happen to want. And then, uh, that's it. We bid adieu and, and take it, take it, take a break till next week we make it different in that if you are watching on a platform or on youtube you can live interact and you can ask questions and they will pop up on the screen oh cool so during the show if someone has a great question um we will get to that as well awesome all right well that's on friday with kenny main at i believe it airs at 10 30 a.m pacific so that'll be fun to watch 
any any horse did you happen to look through the entries on opening day that you really liked that you could kind of tout because we're going to put this on the on uh on the on the line on the internet um so tomorrow. on the internet i heard what i heard that gran luso in the last for dan really? blacker is a runner really there's the train again um what is it gran luso he's a son of cambria corsa chad brown had him he got his head jerked off routing on the dirt uh, and Dan's bringing him over here, first time gelding, mile on grass, and he's working like a good thing. Really? I'm trying to look at where this was. Oh, number 12 with mm-hmm. Florent Giroux. With Florent Giroux. Ooh, that would be a big price. Grand Luso in the last. That's a good one, Michelle. Good job. Hi. Thanks. I like that. I like that. All right. Um, thank you. I can't wait to do all these shows with you. We're going to have a lot of fun this summer. And um, thank you to all of our sponsors, TaylorMade, BetMakers, uh, Delmar, Santa Anita, Gainesway, so many people make this show possible. We really appreciate being on the In the Money Media Network, and we hope uh, to thank you. I'm sorry. Let me start that over. Thank you to all of our listeners. We get a ton of texts when we don't put a show up right away, Michelle. <laughs> hey, where's the show? Uh, you can hit us at Own a Horse on Twitter, at the uh, Michelle U, and at BKLRF are our code names. What are those called? Handles? Handles. I, like I was code. like, code names. I like code names better. Um, And we will be back next week with another fun-filled episode of The Owner's Box. Bye, Michelle.